Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. This is episode number 149. And my name is Henry. This week, uh, once again, I'm joined by Paul Davis. Paul, it's great to see you, man. Great to be back. Uh, this week, we have a review of the classic comedy, Election, from 1999. And then we have, turns out we have a listener question uh, concerning Christopher Nolan's bad sound d- uh, debate, you know, his uh, constant criticisms of having bad sound in his movies. And then we have a pick of the week. I mean, the show is packed, Paul. So yeah. uh, thanks again for joining us, everybody. It's good to have you here. Paul, how you doing? Uh, doing pretty well. You know, it's been a pretty quiet week, so glad that it's Friday. Uh, looking forward to the weekend. You know, it's just been it's been a pretty pretty good but pretty uneventful week. Yeah. Well, you did uh, send out your. I mean, is it? Would you consider a novella? Like, what? Yeah. The length. Uh, what? What would you call it? Yeah. So I finished this week. It's. It's technically it's officially hit novella standards. It's in terms of word count. It's seventeen thousand five hundred forty words right now. Oof. A few of those are for titles, but it's uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a project that I started about a month ago, and I wrote like the first like four pages by hand, and then I started typing it out, and it sort of took a lot, took on a life of its own, and. And it definitely got developed in process. It wasn't something where I really sat down and, you know, did what you're supposed to do, where you, you know, map everything out. Right. Just so. Uh, It was something that really changed over time. But I'm really happy with where it's at uh, right now. I'm super excited about it. And I'm trying to, you know, sort of get some feedback to, to sort of give it one more pass before I start putting it out places to, to see where it can go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I was telling you, I, I read the, the first few pages and really liked it. And it's got like a lot of like in a cool way, a lot of different like influences and, and feelings to it. And um, yeah, it's 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 good. And uh, as I, I told you, like it's dense and I feel like in, in the best way I need to like go back through it to absorb all those different elements. So congrats again about that. Great. I'm glad that you're liking it. It'll I hope that it's even better on the second read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I don't know if there's too much else to mention. Paul, anything for you? Any, any, anything? No, not really. Yeah. I'm ready. All right. Yeah, let's, let's get to it. Let's get to our review of Election, which is on Amazon Prime currently. And we do have a clip. So take a listen. You're one of the most popular students at Carver. You're honest, you're straightforward, and you don't crack under pressure, as we all saw in the amazing fourth quarter against Westside. All the kids look up to you. Now, what does that spell? Student, council, president. Oh, me? Oh, no, I... I don't know anything about that stuff, Mr. M. And I mean, besides, that's Tracy Flick's thing. She's always working so hard at yeah, it. Yeah, no, she's a real go-getter, all right. And she's super nice. Yeah, 
Yeah, but one person assured of victory kind of uh, undermines the whole idea of democracy, don't you think? But Mr. M... I mean, that'd be more like a, a dictatorship, like we studied. But Mr. M, there's... Paul, what's your favorite fruit? Pears. Pears, good. Okay. Let's say... Oh, no, wait. Had... Apples. All right. Election is directed by Alexander Payne. And it stars Matthew Broderick, Reese Witherspoon, Chris Klein, Jessica Campbell, Mark Herlick, Phil Reeves, Molly Hagan, Delaney Driscoll, Colleen Camp, and a few others, I guess. The synopsis is a high school teacher's personal life becomes complicated as he works with students during the school elections, particularly with an obsessive overachiever determined to become student body president. <laughs> so, uh, this one, Paul, you, you suggested this one. Yeah. Uh, w- would you like to kick things off? Sure. Uh, so, the there had been some discussion of us doing uh, Wes Anderson this week, but then we decided that we wanted to try and find something a little bit more topical, and we discussed mm. election films, and um, we landed on election yeah. Which I saw like 10 years ago for the first time, maybe a little bit mm. more, um, but it was something around there. And I remembered really enjoying it, but, and like I remembered certain parts of it, but there were definitely like some, some sort of gray blur areas in it for me in terms of what I remembered, in terms of what really stuck. Um, so going back and rewatching it was, Super, super enjoyable. Um, it's got such a low energy, but that's also so part and parcel with Alexander Payne, you know. Um, yeah. for, for listeners, Alexander Payne did, uh, Nebraska. He did The Descendants. He did Sideways about Schmidt. He did. Yep. Yeah. Downsizing. Uh, yeah. Don't forget that. Tiny Matt Damon. Um, <laughs> and so. You know, all of his films, I think, have like this very, very down energy. It was something that Lauren and I actually kind of talked about after the fact. You know, it has this very humdrum, plain world sort of feel that definitely, I think, is super common with 90s independent filmmakers. Um, Because, you know, sort of look at Wes Anderson's early work. Um, and it's very, very humdrum slice of life type of stuff. You look at early Kevin Smith, uh, the very first one, at least with clerks and it's yeah. very sort of humdrum. And so you definitely get that element to it. But then on top of that, you also get this wonderful sort of Greek tragedy of unreliable narrators. And I just think that it's a really, really weird, ambiguous sort of film. Um, that is definitely not for everyone, but I think is, is definitely worth a watch, especially in, in regards to elections. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Are, are you a fan of Alexander Payne's, uh, more often than not, or? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, so the first one that I saw was Descendants and I loved that one. Have you seen that one? I have. Yeah. I, I think I've seen everything, but let me see. I, I have his list here. Well, actually, I haven't seen Citizen Ruth. Was that his first movie? I Yeah, maybe? Citizen yeah. Ruth was his first like big movie. He had a little movie before it. Um I looked into I did a little research before coming on. 
uh, always good to be prepared. Uh, I yeah, and <laughs> better uh, better than. <laughs> And uh, he did, like, a little tiny film kind of almost in the vein of, um, like, Christopher Nolan's following about, like, you know, two characters and this kind of weird obsessive thing. But actually, before that, he also directed, like, two softcore porn films for for Playboy as well. Oh, I didn't Um, know that. Yeah, so... (laughs) uh, A man of many talents. Uh, Yes. I suppose so. <laughs> but no, I, I like what I've seen. I've seen The Descendants. Um, I've seen, of course, Election. I've seen Sideways. I've seen About Schmidt, but it's been a really long time again on that one. And I was interested in seeing Downsizing, but it was just one of those that I never got around to seeing. Um, I, I wouldn't worry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's yeah. fair. That tells me a lot. But now I like his stuff for the most part. How do you feel about him? Yeah, I, I, my, I think my favorite is Sideways by far. And I, I do like the Descendants and About Schmidt. And I enjoyed this one as well. I should say this was actually a first time watch for me. Okay. I just saw it uh, this afternoon. And it's one that I had heard mentioned over the years. I just never got around to watching. And overall, I, I think it's, it is quite, it's solid. I, I don't know if I was really expecting this or that but i thought it was kind of a fun dark comedy and Mm. it does bring up some interesting points about elections with like deciding who wins like how the community's perspective can change as we've seen in in the u.s election just people's you know whole either for better and for worse people's perspectives have changed on things and Mm -hmm. so I, i think it does a creates a pretty accessible environment to present those ideas in and I did really like Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon. It does kind of start off like it's going to be like a American Pie movie or something. Like it's getting to all these like taboos and like just silly high school, college kind of um, temptations. But it becomes a little bit more sophisticated and kind of goes in alternate paths than what you would expect, you know. And so I think considering it it is more so comedy i don't know if i found it all that funny at least compared to his other comedies yeah that's wh- fair. Wh- which isn't a huge thing but i was kind of hoping for that considering the like the high school and uh concept kind of has that great opportunity for good comedy like super bad and you know a lot of others so but uh, overall i still liked it and was a solid movie you know yeah you know, is uh, is this probably one of his best? Maybe not, but I think that what it does, I think that what I, I really enjoy the most about it is, again, some of that ambiguity surrounding some of our characters, you know. You get their narration, you get their perspective, but it's cross-cut with imagery that openly shows that you pretty much can't trust what they're saying you right. know, with what they're doing, um, which is also kind of a you know, since it's in the context of an election, I think is an interesting discussion on, you know, how politicians see themselves and what they sort of sell themselves as versus what their actions actually show them to be. And it's an interesting movie that kind of, you know, has this this underlying idea of, you know, the scandals that that matter in in terms of you know, sort of the o- overarching narrative of this thing is that, you know, you begin with this one scandal that should matter so much, this sort of Lolita-like 
student affair uh, with a, an older male teacher and a, and a female student. And it ends up mostly getting swept under the rug, like it doesn't go anywhere. And what ends up, of course, being one of the scandals that sort of becomes like a life ruinous event is actually sort of a, a snowball effect from all of that. And so, like, it ultimately has some sort of consequence, but not really for the person that it actually involved initially. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a, how, how, how deep can I get into spoiler? Like, do I have to just, like, you, tell people know, what I'm about to? It's, it's, it's 20 years old. You can, you can, okay, spoil great. O- over 20 years old now, you can spoil it, it. The movie is old enough to drink. It's 21. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting to me that pretty much everything is, is, a snowball effect of of scandal and and failure and of of misdeed and of essentially people almost always choosing to do the wrong thing at the wrong time i don't know it's just it's a really interesting movie i think that i watched it earlier this afternoon as well and it's one that i've been like really sort of pondering and and thinking very heavily about because it it hits on so many notes you know i mean you could really just sort of pick it apart from a lot of different perspectives it has sort of that lolita uh american beauty sort of feeling to its narrative um you know obsession is definitely a clear theme across all of alexander payne's work so is infidelity you know it's the it's a crux of both sideways and descendants yeah and and i would say also like temptation and frustration Mm -hmm. in a way as well yeah and i think that it's also very applicable to now just in the sense of of trust in the system being pivotal you know Mm -hmm. uh and that's kind of the the great sin that he commits is he creates this kind of fraudulent system out of ultimately some sort of petty drive i don't know it's a really weird interesting movie it's it's an odd one like it, it certainly is not a movie that you just kind of put on for the yeah. sake of putting on. Um, there are easier Alexander Payne movies to watch. Like Descendants is probably easier to get in and out of than than Election is. But it's a it's an interesting one. And as a as a teacher, let me tell you, as a as a former teacher, let me tell you, yeah, it's just about that that boring. And also, you meet just as many sort of weird people working behind the scenes in admin that say all kinds of things about the students that are just absolutely insane to hear. Um, <laughs> so that they, they did get that pretty spot on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, it, in terms of the election ideas, it does like, I mean, cause dealing with an election, regardless of what your uh, intentions are, popularity can win you an, an election as we've yeah. seen before. And, but also it can show you how the most well-intentioned can be the most looked over or the most criticized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as we, we saw towards the end where people, you know, were so happy that the, the football player had won. But of course, he has no political mm-hmm. background, knowledge, any of that. But, you know, people were still so willing to accept him. Whereas yeah. there were many different reasons for Reese Witherspoon's character as well. And so it's it does create that back and forth that black white and gray kind of yeah uh, scenario of a election process well uh, i think witherspoon 
and I don't mean this, and I guess in any kind of offensive way to to whoever's listening, but Witherspoon kind of feels almost a little bit like Hillary Clinton back in 2016. You know, hmm. the person who's technically qualified for the job, who clearly just wants the job, right? So so much, like she is psychotically driven to want the job. And I think, and you know, she ends up not getting the job. And of, of course, obviously, in this movie, she turns around and gets the job. But, you know, you have that, I think, same sort of feeling, right? This person who, for whatever reason, just sort of rubbed the system the wrong way. And so the system kind of had this this sort of inverse effect of trying to make sure that she didn't get it as voiced by people who were disenfranchised, who were just going to sort of screw away their vote no matter what, uh, mm-hmm. or people who just were in it for the popularity contest, you know, and who were who were sucked into the intoxicating affair of of this new race that suddenly had their, their former star now running for president. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's interesting to see also with the two uh, candidates where like Reese Witherspoon is at least somewhat has it all together and is very passionate on screen, like all the time she's strong, you know, she's excited, but then you see when she thinks she's lost, she's like completely broken crying, you know, like her life is over. And then you see the football player. And for the most part, he's very relaxed, very subdued, Mm -hmm. even before the election. And then afterwards he's just at a party, you know, he's fine. And so like, you can see, how certain candidates can approach a an election and how what the the mentalities can be which is interesting which even just talking about all this stuff i wasn't really aware of all of that during the movie but it, there are little sprinkles of of interesting ideas throughout the the movie no yeah and um you know pivoting sort of off the election idea of it if you look at all of your characters, pretty much all of them have some sort of dissatisfaction in their personal life that they're trying to overcome. Yeah. You know, it's pretty clear that Matthew Broderick just is exactly like Dave, his buddy that, you know, screwed the, screwed the high schooler. Obviously they're the same because they're, they're very close friends. They're in a band together. They represent the same sort of type of person, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he has this sort of general, general, dislike of his life even if he doesn't realize it and then you've got reese witherspoon who doesn't realize that the thing that she sort of is lacking is human connection you know she has all of this drive all of this gumption all of this purpose um but she doesn't really have any warmth and you see that reflected also in her mother and how her mother talks to her yeah uh, after she's lost the election it's not you know oh i'm so sorry you know it's well, you know, maybe we didn't put up enough posters or, you know, do this. You know, maybe you didn't listen to my notes on your speech. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the the football player who is overcoming the fact that he no longer has purpose from the fact that his football career is dead. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Tammy, the sister, who is dealing with the fact that she's a lesbian in a world that that at the time definitely isn't as common for her and as accepting for her. And, you know, she's recently lost someone that she thinks is the love of her life, but she's also 16, so she has no idea what she's talking about. So, sure. Um, you know, 
but everyone has dissatisfaction that they're trying to overcome in some kind of way, and they're all using this election to fuel some sort of part of it. It's all, yeah. you know, this sort of grab at power is all really people trying to fill some sort of void. Mm-hmm. Which I, I think really speaks to the election we just had. Yeah. I think there are, you know, there are so many frustrations and different motivations to vote or to, you know, perhaps not to vote or to vote for a certain candidate over the other. And so, yeah, that that's a really good point. So, yeah, there, there's a lot more there than you would expect. And I think that's kind of what Alexander Payne can do fairly well is just, you know, lay out a fairly simple narrative, but really pack it with some interesting mm-hmm. elements. Yeah, it's definitely one of those that I think, you know, if you if you can manage to watch it twice, you know, if if you watch it the first time and you like it well enough the first time, I think it's definitely one of those where no matter how long it is after, another viewing definitely makes it deeper. And yeah. I think that, you know, if I watch this again in another few years, I'll probably glean a little bit more from it. I think that it's definitely one that's that's very worth revisiting. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, it's on the in the Criterion collection, I believe. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it seems it's the cupcake. It says election. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Reese Witherspoon, are you generally a fan of hers? No opinion. I mean, yeah. I liked Legally Blonde. Um, sure. I saw some of what was the show? Big Little Lies. I Big saw Little some Lies of season one, yeah. and it was fine. She was good in it. No real opinion on Reese Witherspoon. She she just kind of exists for me. Yeah, I, I like her when it's more so based on like the projects she picks. Like if she's in a project I'm interested in, I'm pretty sure I'll like her. But then she's in a number of, of films and TV shows that I just don't have a lot of interest in. You I know? think that's so, a really good way to put it. You know, I, I think uh, for the most part, performance wise, she's always solid. Mm-hmm. But. And then Matthew Broderick is uh, is uh, always a, a fun time. <laughs> Matthew Broderick's had such a weird career, but I thought that he did a great job. You know, I thought that he really sold this kind of. For me, he kind of almost does what Bill Murray does in Rushmore. You know, in Rushmore, mm. Bill Murray plays the kind of grown-up version of his jerk hero. I kind of feel like Jim McAllister is almost a little bit of grown-up Ferris Bueller. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. I, I think so. Mm-hmm. Well, a- anything else about election or Alexander Payne? Not really. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. a really it's it's just something that I think you have to watch and kind of form your own opinions about, and that's what makes it I think a little bit hard for me to talk about. Is like it's a it's a very dense movie. It's a very layered movie, um, and it's really very largely up to interpretation as long as you know you can you have the evidence to support it um but i think that it's a great little movie i think that it's smart it definitely feels like a 1999 film and i mean that in like a good way yeah (laughs) and uh if you aren't really a big george clooney fan then i definitely recommend the descendants because that's that's a movie that really sort of takes George Clooney and, and rips him down to just sort of being a dude. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's definitely one of the, the more interesting films in Alexander Payne's career. Yeah, I, I would agree. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, out of five, Paul, for election, I'll go uh, four. Yeah, four sounds good. I think four is really fair. 
All right. Okay, well, I guess with the review done, we can move on to our listener question. So, the Film Buds podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach us at. Also, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Buds. Uh, and so, please, if you're a new listener or if you've been listening for a while, please send us any questions, comments, uh, greetings, you know, whatever. We like hearing from people uh, in whatever way. So, this one comes from Alex from Syracuse. And Alex says, hi, all. The great Christopher Nolan seems to be in yet another defensive stance about his bad sound in his films. Have you experienced this? And is there much weight to either side's argument? Could there be a way in which, quote unquote, bad sound could work for his movies? Love the podcast. Really enjoyed your Mulan review last time. Now I know for sure, dot, 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 not to watch it. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> thanks uh alex that's Glad fair I could be of service yes <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know my thoughts are really resonating with people yeah. uh, <laughs> so all right well paul uh i i guess to, to lay the groundwork so i guess maybe starting with interstellar m- maybe before that but there has been repeated criticism against Christopher Nolan for his films having a bad sound. I guess you can more call it sound mixing where people can't hear the dialogue in certain sequences, like an interstellar when the the ships were taking off, people struggled to hear what people are, were saying. And then in Dunkirk, I think it benefited because there's like no dialogue in that movie aside from, uh, you know, a few moments. So that wasn't as much of an issue. But I think in Tenet, he's also had the same criticisms. And there is a an article on Collider that I pulled up recently that he was speaking to IndieWire and he said, and I quote, we got a lot of complaints. I actually got calls from other filmmakers who would say, I just saw your film and the dialogue is inaudible. He goes on to say, some people thought maybe the music's too loud, but the truth was, the, the truth was it was kind of the whole enchilada of how we had chosen to mix it. It was a very, very radical mix. I was a little shocked to realize how conservative people are when it comes to sound. Because you can make a film that looks like anything, you can shoot it on your iPhone, no one's going to complain. But if you mix the sound a certain way, or if you use certain sub-frequencies, people get up in arms. (laughs) So, Paul, have you you had this uh, issue with Christopher Nolan? Uh, have you experienced this? I mean, there have definitely always been, you know, there were moments in Interstellar and of course, definitely moments in Dunkirk where audio was a little bit challenging in terms of trying to figure out the character dialogue. But I always just assumed that you were more just kind of, I always assumed it was intentional. I always Mm -hmm. figured that it was like a direct choice because nothing that that man does is an accident. And so I guess I kind of always assumed that you were just supposed to be getting swept up more in in the emotional moment that was supposed to be transpiring more than the actual words. The words don't matter, right. sort of the tone of the speaking voice that you can faintly hear, you know, through whatever yeah. is happening. I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't seen tenant i'm not sure how many people have so i i can't comment or speculate on well, christopher nolan is pleased with the box office results he's pleased so 
great for Chris. I'm sure yeah. that anything more than nothing was going to be a win for them. So, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't bother me, I guess. What bothers me, I... Well, that's a whole different rant. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I'm not. Okay. I'll have restraint. So, no, I mean, it doesn't really bother me. How do you feel about it? So, yeah, I haven't seen Tenet either, so I, I can't uh, speak to any issues with that movie, but I'm the same way. I think in Interstellar, I do remember in the theater having had certain sequences where it was the dialogue was kind of muffled, but really, like eight, like eighty percent of movies I go see have issues with like sound mixing, like you know. And so I don't know why Christopher Nolan is being criticized more than others. Maybe just his his stature in Hollywood, but really, I I've never had a big issue with it. And and Dunkirk, I think. The only times where I couldn't totally understand people was when the uh, the airplane sequences where Tom Hardy was speaking or the, the other pilot. But really, I thought that was very intentional. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's over. It's like a he's got a mask on and it's, you know, it's just a pilot conversation. So I didn't really feel like that was necessary. So for the most part, I don't have an issue with that. I, I guess I can see how certain people would take issue with it. But no, I mean, of all the things to get upset about, I you know, I tend to not linger too much on that. Well, and I guess I have two questions, um, or two thoughts, you know, my first thought is kind of, you know, are we sure that some of this is not also the theater's fault? You know, just bad speakers, old speakers, they've turned it up too loud. Hmm. Um, Listen to Paul's rant a few episodes ago about theaters. (laughs) It's a keeper. Um, (laughs) But then on top of that, I think Oh, uh, and in in terms of Nolan's response to the whole problem, I guess I will say this. The first thought that I had was a thought that goes back to film school, which was one of my film teachers looked at me and, and said, you know, you can have terrible video quality and people will still be fine with the movie as long as it sounds okay. Right. Uh, so people are really touchy about sound, you know, yeah. people are very, very finicky, you know, he's like, oh, people are so conservative about it. Yeah, people are, <laughs> people are, you know, if you have a movie that's shot at 480, as long as that sound is nice and crisp and people can hear that dialogue, they will go along with the story and get lost in it. But no, if you're going to have people talk, people want to hear what they're saying, unless it's supposed to be some sort of, you know, obvious mute out moment. But people are finicky about sound. And so I think that it's interesting that he's like, oh, how conservative. No, like, that's definitely kind of like a a norm. And I mean, I'm all for challenging norms, I guess, but also like, explain your purpose then. Mm. He hasn't explained his purpose for challenging it other than, oh, well, that was just the choice that I made. That's all I need to know. (laughs) (laughs) No. Christopher Nolan, you know? Uh, Yeah. I mean, as far as he's concerned, that's all I need to know. Yeah. Um, But that's, I guess, just sort of another perspective on it and a thought that I had when I heard his his quote. Yeah, I would agree. I like one of my favorite films is The Invisible Man, the original from the 1930s. And my only like one criticism of that movie is the the technical quality at the time when people would scream act like it would sound like you're you're tearing the screen it's so it, there's just a horrible sound to it and i hate those moments of that movie 
And so I, I think, as you were saying, people do take issue with sound, regardless mm-hmm. of uh, you know what it is. And so, uh, yeah, I, I would like to hear his explanation. That's that's kind of coming to a close here. I I just would like to hear him explain why. Other exactly. than that's how we chose to do it. If this is the whole enchilada, great. Why did you put this in the enchilada? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I just got, just got to see Tenet. It's, I guess it comes out in December on on VOD, so I'll be looking forward to it. I'll wait for HBO Max. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you hear Wonder Woman 1984 might be on HBO Max, Paul? Yeah, just do it. I'm. Yeah. I'm. Everyone knows my opinion. Just do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for the question, Alex. And again, the Film Buds podcast at gmail.com is where you can send us those questions. So I guess we can end off with our pick of the week. Paul, you've been watching much over the last week? No, not really. You know, I watched the appendices for the Lord of the Rings. That's not my pick. Oh, yeah. Those are those are classics, man. They're great. I don't know. I guess my pick of the week is... um, which which ones have you watched? Oh, all of them. Well, okay. Well, then, what are some standout ones of the appendices? Yeah. Personally, I think my one of my favorites is probably the the Fellowship and the Two Towers appendices, just because mm-hmm. I enjoy those those portions of the journey. I enjoy the beginning and the pre production, and then I enjoy the production of Helm's Deep more yeah. than I enjoy the production of Hel- Pelennor Fields. Mm-hmm. Um, they both have their merits, but. Um, I just find the the technical journey of Helm's Deep a lot more fascinating. Um, my pick of the week is going to actually be uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna change it up radically. It's gonna be a video game. Okay. It's Red Dead Two. Oh, cool! Yeah. Oh, Paul, I uh, I just talked to the the composer who did the first one. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. tremendous yeah. score, tremendous yeah. sounding game. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or yeah, what one of the composers? Yeah, okay. But yeah, it's going to be Red Dead Two. Uh, kind of like Election. There's a lot that you can glean from it that is relevant to now, because it's about America in flux and about whether or not you can find a place in a new version of the world or not. And I think that it's a I think that it's a great little examination of where we are now using a setting that's a hundred years old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean I haven't played I played through the first one a few times and then as well as uh Undead Nightmare. Mm-hmm. But I played I think I, I did play through Red Dead Two once and it is great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a great game. So all right, well, my pick of the week is I've been I started rewatching True Detective season one. Oh, great and one. Man, is it good. It yeah. is it's so great. I mean, really, I, and Chloe and I have talked about this uh, on the show plenty of times before, but I think it's probably the best season of a show, like a drama show that I've ever seen, probably. Yeah. You know, there are uh, might be a few others up there, but and, and rewatching it, you know, probably for the th- third or fourth time, it's still just as good. And there's so many layers. Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are so good. Yeah. It's it's really fantastic. So if you've not seen that yet, check it out. And yeah, that might be about it. Paul, any any other things you want to mention? Uh any uh no. Um yeah. go and uh if you en- if you enjoy you know, my my few appearances that I've done here, there's sure. a whole other show that I write for, uh Sane Show. You can go and give that a listen. 
who knows, be on the lookout for Doom in a Darker Sky, and keep listening to Film Buds. I'll probably be back on again sometime in the near future, I'm sure. I hope so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I guess that is about it for the show. I I don't think there's anything else really to mention. I mean, now next week, as always, it's kind of up in the air. I did see that uh, maybe today, actually, The New Mutants is on VOD. I don't know if that's um, for purchase or if it's for rent, I guess, depending on... Paul, any interest in seeing that? You know what? Um, (laughs) Lauren and I actually literally just uh, last week, I think, finished our watch through of all of the X-Men films. Oh! Um, We did it the... We did X-Men Origins Wolverine, the X-Men Trilogy... Uh, the Wolverine, and then we did the sort of prequel films, and then the two Deadpool films, and then Logan. Uh, and so we, we just finished it up recently. And so if New Mutants is on the menu, I, I I think, I believe so. I, I could be mistaken, but. Well, if it is, then I guess we'll I guess we'll have to go for it. Yeah, I'm I'm not scared. So I yeah, that might be a, a pick for next week. Uh, but you know, to stay updated on social media and, and the filmbuds.com, all that good stuff. Make sure to check out the music buds. There have been some really cool interviews over the last few weeks and a lot of others coming up with composers and rock bands and all that stuff. So if you like that kind of thing, check it out. Paul, well, man, it's great to see you. Uh, yeah. thanks as always for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. And yeah, please, please come back. Uh, you're always welcome. And yeah, thanks again, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody, we really hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>